me I'm an alcoholic. I'm so excited to be here. Tom, thank you for asking me. And hi, Zoomers. Oh my goodness, friendly faces on Zoom. Hi. Um, I know you, I know you. Okay, that's intimidating. And um, anyway, so I'm an alcoholic and my sobriety date is 424-2010. I have a sponsor that knows she's my sponsor. I talk to her regularly and I sponsor other women in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was taught to stay in the middle and that's what I do. And I live a life that I never could have even imagined before I found you. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine standing here. I couldn't imagine looking you in the eye. I couldn't do it. I was a completely different person before I found you and you grew me up big and strong and I really, really appreciate it. I'm extremely grateful. Uh, welcome to our newcomer. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Congratulations to all the chip takers and Kimberly, happy birthday. Happy birthday, you are a light and you have a gift and a message and I'm so glad that you brought that tonight, thank you. And um, when I came here to Alcoholics Anonymous, all I wanted to do was stop drinking. All I wanted to do was stop drinking and stop hurting people that I loved. As was already mentioned, um, I was hurting people that I loved and I denied that for as long as I could until I couldn't deny it anymore. I couldn't deny the pain that I was causing other people in my life, my daughter, my husband, most of family, and then, and then the people I work with and the ripples go out and out and out. My life was really small and really dark when I got here and I hated myself. I could barely look in the mirror to put my mascara on and, and the shaking hands didn't help that situation at all. There was a mess. I was a mess. I had a part-time job three and a half hours a day and I couldn't get through without drinking alcohol. And I'm not pleased or proud to say that I worked with children in a health office in school and that's how I did it. I did it drunk and I did it hungover. And I thought there was a special place in health for people like me that can't stop drinking, that need the alcohol to get up, to take a shower, to stop the shakes. I had alcoholic hepatitis when I got here. I didn't know that. I just knew I was sick and my hair was falling out and I was bruising all over the place. And I had to drink that first drink, throw it up to get the second one down. I was sick. I was really, really sick. And I was still going through the motions of living my life. I'm a mom. I have a job. I'm a wife. You know, I still had the house. I still had the car and the credit cards. And I was killing myself. I was killing myself one drink at a time and I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. When I was little, I had anxiety and I tried everything to feel comfortable in this world. That anxiety uh, began before I can even put my finger on it. Like my first memories are of fear. You know, when you go to the therapist's office, then what's your first memory? And mine was uh, cracking my head open. I've got a scar from here to here. Um, my teddy bear was cold. I was outside playing with my teddy bear and my teddy bear was cold and I ran inside to get my teddy bear a blanket. And on the way out, blanket got under my foot on my mom's extremely waxy floors. So I fell into the corner wall and split my head right open as children do because their skin is so beautiful and tight. And so they split right open. I split right open and um, started bleeding and I knew my mom would kill me. Um, I, she was a disciplinarian, she never beat me. Um, but I was terrified. I was just terrified of the world. And so I tried to clean up, I'm bleeding from my head. I was two and a half years old. And I was bleeding from my head and, and, um, and I just remembered I couldn't clean it up. The blood was coming too fast. So I was going to have to ask for help, but I didn't want to. At two and a half, it was hard for me to ask for help. I was born this way. 
I was born this way. And so I opened the front door. My mom was sitting outside with a friend and she said, all she saw was blood. Like my whole face is bleeding. And she thought I poked my eyes out or something. She screamed, never heard her scream before. She was very proper and did everything properly all the time. And so she screamed that I knew I must be in serious trouble with mom screaming. But anyway, we ended up at the doctor's office, have a lovely scar to remember that, that I was born in here. I was just born in fear and it didn't get any better from there. Uh, school frightened me. Um, every, my, my dad's angry looks frightened me. I lived um, in a home where my dad was um, an alcoholic, didn't know it at the time. I didn't, you know, I don't have labels for these things. My dad just always, there was beer in the fridge and on his breath and all around all the time. And I didn't know any better. And I was just afraid. And I was afraid, afraid, afraid. And I, I tried things like making friends to be less afraid. And I tried things in high school, like finding a boyfriend that might make me less afraid. If he thinks I'm okay, then I'm okay, right? You know, something out there is gonna solve what's going on in here. I've gotta find that thing. Now, circumstances being as they were, my friends weren't drinkers. I hung out with nerds and we played Trivial Pursuit on the weekends. And so there wasn't any drinking, right? You know, and I didn't, want beer in my house. It never occurred to me to sneak any beer because I didn't like my dad and I didn't like the way he smelled and I didn't like that beverage and I'm not gonna drink that. And uh, I just never did. Um, so I tried everything I could to feel better, married that first boyfriend, didn't fix me. I thought it would, I thought true love, it did. It worked for about 10 minutes, you know? And, um, and I thought, well, I'll just keep trying harder. And, um, and that marriage, it didn't work. It did not work and um, it couldn't work. We were both way too young. We did have a daughter and I'm forever grateful for that. But my problems kept getting worse. I kept getting more and more afraid of the outside world and I couldn't solve it. I couldn't solve it, not with anything. And even that baby girl, I thought um, I had that baby girl because I was scared to get a job. You know, I wish I could say, oh, your daddy and I were so in love and we created you. And it's like, nope. And um, I didn't want to get a job, so I thought I'll be a stay-at-home mom, so I made a human, <laughs> and, and I did that, and, um, and it did fix me for just like, again, you know, a little bit, just for a little bit, but what's wrong with me can't be solved by a man or a child or a job or money or, you know, anything else, anything else. I didn't know what was wrong with me, so I feel like I was just a little ugly duckling looking around my whole life for what was going to fix me. I was um, gaining weight after the baby and hating myself, and I ended up having weight loss surgery, which was, you know, yay. Um, I thought I hated myself so much because I was overweight. So I had weight loss surgery in the year 2000, and I lost 100 pounds. And I thought maybe that I traded my soul to the devil because I just got more miserable. I was like thinner than I thought I could ever be, and I was just more miserable. And at that point, my husband was already gone. I was working on husband number two. And, um, and this one, this new husband, this is an upgrade, you guys. And, um, and, and this one's going to do it. This one really loves me like I need to be loved. It's just going to happen. He adores my daughter. It's just going to click. It's going to fit. Five minutes later, I'm still miserable, right? So now I'm skinny and I have a new husband. My daughter's growing. And I'm just getting sicker and sicker. And um, after this funny thing that happened with my weight loss surgery, um, I took a drink 
six months when they told me you can start introducing carbs back into your diet you can introduce alcohol back into your diet and i'm like well i'm not really a drinker so that's not really a problem for me um and they said be careful when you drink alcohol and i thought whatever and um that was my typical response to anything i'm gonna nod and smile and pretend i'm taking your advice but i'm just gonna go home and do what i want anyway right you'll never know it i'm very polite you know and um and so uh i i took a drink and and it hooked me almost immediately i, I was at a dinner party with some friends and, and before or, you know, they're fancy and they're drinking their wine and I'm like, oh, do you have anything sweeter? This is gross. It's Chardonnay. And, um, and, 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 uh, I, I learned to drink it really fast. Um, that one dinner party after the bypass surgery was totally different than those dinner parties before. And it hit me really fast and it hit me hard and I liked it. And for the first time in my entire life, I'm at this dinner party and I'm not worried about what I'm going to say. And I had the champagne starter because these are fancy people. And we had champagne with appetizers and then we're moving into dinner and they're pouring the Chardonnay and I'm drinking it like water because I just never, ever had a problem with alcohol before. And it hit me and I'm like, oh, you know what I'm talking about? I just felt warm and I felt comfortable. And my shoulders, which usually reside right over here, you know, they were down. And I was like, oh my God. And I'm looking around and I'm like, do they know? <laughs> like, do they know what's happening to me inside right now? Is this what happens to them when they drink? Is this, how, what the hell? Like, have I missed this my whole, I'm 30 years old. What on earth is happening to me right now? And then the next thought was, I don't care. I love it. I loved alcohol. Oh my God. And I would tell stories and it was great. And I'd get invited to more dinner parties and they're like, wait till she has a couple of drinks. She's really fun. And you know what? That was permission. That was permission for me to keep drinking. How could this be bad? How could this ever be bad? But I only did it at other people's house, right? At the dinner parties I keep getting invited to because now I'm like, you know, I'm like the hot ticket in town in my neighborhood. There's eight houses. That's it. That's just, you know, but to me, I'm a big deal. I'm a big deal. And um, seriously, it's so sad when I look back. And so the fancy people are pouring the wine and now I'm going to their fridges. I'm pouring my own wine. I'm already getting a little bit out of control and I'm getting the hand under the, under the table. Now my husband's like, mm. and, and I'm like, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Don't you stop me. This is the only thing that's ever worked for me. I am comfortable. I am happy. And do not take this away from me. And now it's his fault. And now I'm angry at him. How dare you? You know, so he backed off like the good codependent soul that he is. I member of Al-Anon now. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and it was just awful. It was just awful. Off to the races I was. I'm buying the wine and I'm keeping it in my house. And you know how you buy the wine in the six pack at Pavilions there? Save a little money. That's why I'm buying so much wine to save the money. Mm -hmm. No, I'm buying it to function. I'm now drinking every night every night without fail. And that nighttime starts a little earlier every night. And my daughter's out early on Thursdays. So Thursday, I still, well, not anymore, but for years I salivated on Thursdays around noon because that's when I got off. And, and I just got worse and worse. And my daughter's starting to look at me a little funny and mom, can you do this? And I'm like, I don't feel well. And that became my excuse. I don't feel well, I'm not feeling well. And she could see me starting to shake apart. And then she's starting to caretake for her mom. And she's like, can I get you anything? I'm up in bed and she's making me scramble eggs because I can't keep anything down. And I'm looking her in the face and I'm telling her I'm just sick. She's like, she knew I was, I had been to the psychologist and I had taken some medicine there. She said, did they change your medicine, mom? You're really acting funny. She was a teenager. And I was so angry again. 
just like with my husband, my, my husband who adored me, my daughter who adores me. And I said, why would you say that to me? I'm trying so hard to keep it together. And yes, they changed my medicine. And if I'm acting funny, I'm sorry, but I am trying to get better here. And it was all bullshit. It was no medicine. It was alcohol. Now she's starting to call my husband. She calls him Papa. And she's like, Papa, Mom's drinking again. And so he's calling me. And he's saying, if you're going to drink, you're going to drink, but you better hide it from Shannon. You're losing it. You're losing it. And I thought, oh, my God. Oh my God. And I'm, and so I would, I would try <laughs> chapter three, all of that stuff. I would buy wine that I didn't like thinking I'd pour it out. No, <laughs> drink it faster. And get it down. Just get it down. I drank two bottles, you know, regular bottles and then three bottles. And I couldn't, couldn't stop. Didn't want to stop half the time. Half the time I did want to stop. And I remember the morning that I sat in my the morning, um, it was a, okay, maybe like noonish. I wasn't a morning drinker yet, but um, I sat at my table and I was pouring the wine and my hands were shaking and I knew. I looked at my hand shaking and I said, oh my God, I'm physically addicted to alcohol. Because I thought it was just my spirit and my soul and a moral choice. And I thought it was a horrible human being. But I didn't know that my body was involved. And I didn't know that my spirit was involved yet. But now I know my head is. And I know my body is, and I'm scared. And I tell my husband, I think it's time. I think I, I want to try to stop. I'm ready to try to stop. I can't, do you, do you see my hands? And he's like, I've seen your hands. I've seen it a lot. And, um, and he said, I'll help you. And I said, okay. And so we Googled it. How to stop drinking. You and me, baby, us against the world, we're going to do it. Okay, Shannon's at her dad's for the weekend, we're going to do it. And they tell you, you have to titrate down the amount of alcohol that you drink, right? This is how to do it, because carefully, you can't just stop. You're going to have a seizure. And I'm like, well, we don't want that to happen. So my husband, spreadsheets, computer engineer, we're going to figure it out. And uh, the problem was I lied a lot about how much I was drinking. So when I told him how much I was drinking and he's titrating that down, it was the wrong equation. It was a really bad equation. So I'm drinking way less to titrate down than I should have been. And on that third day, just like Google promised, I had a normal seizure. My husband had to witness that. I was, he was running me a bath because I was sweating it out and I was on my bed being tall princess bed. And flopped right off. Um, I was I was reading the book Eat, Pray, Love. I was eating a popsicle, <laughs> and uh, remember it vividly. That's all I remember vividly. And I'm waking up to paramedics in my room. I'm on the side of my bed, and they're over me. And I'm like, Oh my god! And so that was the first time I was introduced to treatment. The first time I was introduced to someone that was going to talk to me about my alcoholism, because all I did was lie. All I did was lie. I couldn't tell any doctor. I couldn't tell any soul. I couldn't tell anyone at work. I didn't know anyone else drank like me. I never knew anyone that drank like me and did what I did when they're drinking. Yelled at their kid. Yelled at their husband. Worked. Drunk. I didn't know any of that. No one like that. And I didn't know anyone in sobriety. And so I thought these secrets would go with me to my grave. And all I wanted was to maybe die of a heart attack and have them not write alcoholism on my death certificate. I did not want that legacy for my daughter, but I knew I was dying. 
I knew it. I could tell in my body and it was very dramatic. And I thought, when is it going to happen? Um, I, my panic disorder was out of control. I would stop light to stop light. I can't even, you know, I want to pull off or into a bathroom or jump off a cliff. Um, stop light to stop light, just trying to get anywhere I could go. I couldn't go to the grocery store without, um, I had to be in the times or less aisle because if someone stands, as soon as someone comes up behind me in line, now I am trapped and I can't have that, right? Especially like, you know, if the person in front of me has 709 items and oh my God. So I could only go to the store to buy that wine and some carrots with the top. So I look fancy, right? This wine is for a party and I'm buying wine at 6 a.m. Six pack of wine, carrots with the tops. I think I'm fooling people. I'm actually telling the cashiers about the parties that I'm having. Have any of you done that? Thinking they're keeping track of what I'm doing? And it's okay. And uh, so, what my, so I have the seizure and I go to treatment and I was on the second floor of Luna Hospital. Don't know if any of you have ever been there. It's, it's a dual diagnosis floor and it's really great because they're like, well, you drink because you're anxious and you're depressed and we're going to help you. And I thought, oh my God, you're amazing. I need you to fix me. I need you to fix me. I can't me it's in fact not really my problem it's you know somebody else's and and so they you know we, we did a lot of yoga and we did some time management skill sessions and how to better your calendar and you know stress management and group therapy and then they took me in an AA meeting and I had these things up here and I read them I'm not a stupid woman and I read them from my seat and I thought hmm Keep your God, keep your 12 steps, I'll do the rest, and I'll get better. I was wrong. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I came so scared of God because I had a childlike, infant-like idea of God as some sort of vindictive Santa Claus who might grant my wishes, but if I do something naughty, he's going to like throw down a lightning bolt and kill me. And I don't know where I got that. I, I was not a regular church girl. I'd visit churches with my, my friends when I was little, but I was terrified of God because if he's been watching me, the lightning bolts are coming. The lightning bolts are coming. I was not lovable to humans. I couldn't possibly be level, lovable to a God, a God, the one that I'd read about, you know, and, and I was terrified. And I thought, I'll just try harder. I'll just try harder. So I left that treatment center. Um, I detoxed for like, I don't know, four days or something. They sent me home and I go back to the, you know, the IOP, right? Intensive outpatient patient therapy. It was a lot of salads and yoga and whatever. And it might work for some people, it didn't work for me. And I know that now because I'm, a, I'm an active alcoholic. Like I'm an alcoholic. And, and as far as I know, the treatment for that is Alcoholics Anonymous. So I went back home and I stayed sober for about 60 days until I couldn't stay sober anymore. And then the game was on. And I knew that I can't stop drinking. Once I started, I knew I couldn't stop because I'd seize again. My body needs alcohol like it needs water. And there's no way out. No way out. Every three hours of putting alcohol in my body. And that's why I couldn't even do my three and a half hour shift at school. And my friends at school are starting to notice something's wrong with me because I'm beat red all the time. Like, I was like, don't look quite as put together. Go on and sip a lot. And I'm telling them I have a vitamin deficiency. Right? There's a vitamin deficiency. Not I'm malnourished. I'm so nervous that I can't eat. They're bringing me food. I mean, sweet, sweet, lovable people in my life. They're bringing me. Was a, you know, I told someone bean burritos are my comfort food. My mother is Mexican. I am half Mexican. I don't look it because I dye my hair. But anyway, um, and uh, so now you know. And um, and so I would get these like secret little bean burritos. You know, it was adorable. Like everybody at this school, they 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 tried. They loved me. 
Love doesn't cure an alcoholic. Alcoholism doesn't give a shit about what you do, who you love, how smart you are, how dumb you are, how much you have. It does not give a shit. It is, does not discriminate. And I will tell you, I became an alcoholic against my will. I did not give my permission for that. But it had come to pass that I knew this. Eventually, I knew that that's what was wrong with me. So those 18 months between my grand mal seizure in 2008 and my sobriety date in 2010 were the worst 18 months of my life, of my life. And again, I couldn't tell anyone the truth. I couldn't tell anyone the truth. I came to these AA meetings. I saw these things on the wall. I said, that's not for me. And as far as I knew, that's all there was. And so I'm dead. I'm walking dead. This thing is eating me alive. I'm losing weight hand over fist. And I just can't cope. I can't. I'm going to die. And I had no idea I was stuck in a disease. A disease that I didn't ask for. I am not responsible for it. But I am, now I know, responsible for my recovery. That is my responsibility. And I take it seriously. And so on the last weekend, my sobriety date, I tell you, is 424, 2010. That's I'm not sure. I don't remember. I was so drunk. I'm so messed up. I was supposed to go to a Keith Urban concert, my absolute favorite. Love Keith Urban. And, um, and you were going to go to Las Vegas. My husband and I go to Las Vegas, see Keith Urban. It's going to be great. I can't. I can't. I can't leave the house. So I sent my daughter and husband to see Keith Urban in Las Vegas, and I knew I'd be dead before they came home. Very dramatic. I wasn't far from the truth. When they came home, I knew I had to say something again. I'm going to tell my husband again. We have to try again. Right, we're gonna Google it differently or something. I don't know. I still wasn't ready to tell anyone the truth, but and they came to my bedside because I'm still in bed. That's where they left me. That's where they found me three days later. And and um and and uh, Shannon and Christian are in the room, and, and I looked up and I said, Shannon, I, I need to talk to Papa. Can you leave the room? And she's just standing there. She's not leaving. And Christian's just looking at me. And I said, Honey, I. I really need you to leave the room because I need to talk to Papa. I'm thinking I'm really hiding stuff from my daughter. And, um, and, and then my husband, he looks at me and he says, Mommy, Shannon's not in the room. I was hallucinating. And I shut my eyes and I knew I was, I was gone because my brain was the only thing helping me at that point because I knew my soul was gone. Brain faulty, but still working to that point. And I just shut my eyes and I started crying. And I don't know what happened. My poor husband, he said he put me in the car and drove me around and he didn't know what to do. He drove me around thinking, should I take her? Should I take her? What are they going to do with her? You know, what are our lives going to look like? You know, will she lose her job? He loved me so much. And he knew I loved my job so much. And he tried with all the love in his heart to save me and he couldn't. And he just drove around and around and around until the name just came back home. And he put me to bed. And then the next morning when I was just slightly, slightly reasonable, he said, I want to take you to the hospital, but I don't want to do it when you're not, you know, coherent. He's, can I take you to the hospital? And I said, yes. And he took me to the hospital, same hospital, and I was no longer invited to the second floor. I was invited to the fourth floor where the addicts and alcoholics are. And there is no more dual diagnosis. This is where you face your disease and you get better or you don't. And I was afraid of those people when I was on the second floor, when I still thought I had a cutesy kind of mild case of alcoholism. And by the time I was there, I belonged on that fourth floor. And I needed every one of you, every one of you. And they took me to a meeting of alcoholics not in that hospital in the basement. 
and they were laughing and they were laughing and telling their stories. I don't remember the laughter at the other meeting I had gone to, but there was laughter. And there was a guy saying there were so many like, like mug shots of him somewhere. And, um, you know, because he just keeps, you know, the DUIs and all this other stuff. And they were laughing and I, I hadn't laughed. I don't think I had smiled in 18 months. I hadn't sang along with the radio. I hadn't enjoyed a TV program. I hadn't known a moment's peace or levity. And you guys laughed. And you saved my life. And you saved my life. And then the doctors were telling my husband, she can't go home. This isn't enough. Three days of this isn't enough. You need to send her to rehab, like, like you know, sleep away camp, gotta go. And, and they told him that. They weren't telling me that. So he called me, like when I was starting to feel better. And he said, I can't let you come home. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it because I know now, I know what I need to do. I know what I need to do. I'm pathetic just like that. I'm like, please. Please, I know what I need to do. I, I just need to do this. I just, I can, I'm gonna try harder. I get it now, I get it now. I can't drink, please, please, please let me come home. And he said, no. He said, no. And he saved my life. Him and the doctors that told him to do it. He said, I love you. And they told me you're gonna die. And I don't want you to die. And then I got angry again and I said, how dare you? Instead of saying, oh my God, I can't believe I have a love of a man like this. I said, how dare you? How could you? What are you doing to me? And I screamed at him. And he said, I have stayed up all night. He's watching my daughter. He's got a full-time job. He stayed up all night researching rehabs. He said, I found one. I think it's going to fit for you. And you have to call him and you have to do the intake. I can't do it for you. I said, fine. 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 And I'm going to make him pay. And I, and I uh, started screaming around the hospital. You know what he's going to do to me? You know what he's going to do to me? So embarrassing. And, um, and they're like, it's okay. A little more Valium for her. And um, she's seized before and now she's crazy. So, you know, uh, one person was smart enough to say, I know where they're sending you. I know someone who's been to that rehab. She works in accounts. Do you have a go talk to her? Fine. So I went and I talked to her. I don't know who she is. She's another one that saved my life. I went there and I saw her desk and she's working at this, just this desk and she's got little pictures on her desk and you know, she's just doing her job. And I said, hey, you told me to come talk to you, you know? And she goes, yeah, they called me. She's like, sit down. She's like, so they're sending you, they're sending you to BFC. And I said, yeah. And, um, and she's like, do everything they say. If they tell you to run naked across the lawn, do it. She said, do it, they saved my life. And I said, they're going to take my daughter away from me. They're going to take my daughter. I know my husband, my ex-husband hates me. He's going to take my daughter. She's everything to me. And they said, oh, he will. If you don't go. If you're an alcoholic and active in your alcoholism, they will take her. But if you're seeking treatment, they will not. They cannot. I don't know if that's true. But I believed her. <laughs> I believed her. And then I looked at her desk and I knew she's got a picture there. And it's her and two teenage girls. And I said... Are those your daughters? And she said, yeah. I said, do they know you're an alcoholic? <laughs> yes. I said, oh my God. Now I'm looking around, do all these people know? And she said, yes, Romy. 
we get our lives back. We get our lives back. I couldn't imagine it. I thought I'm going to go to the street home and I'm going to come home and I'm going to white knuckle it. You know, maybe the family will take me out on Sundays on a leash. You know, she's doing well. Don't talk about the drinking. She's And I just thought I would still never, I would never drink again, but I would never smile again. And my life would be just as small and dark without the alcohol. I had no idea that sobriety means more. It means better. It means light. It means life. It means everything. And I had no idea. I had no idea. Like if she gets her daughters back and they know she's an alcoholic and they still love her, then I'm going to try. And I was terrified. And I go to the desert and my husband drives me out there. And the only thing I was so petrified to leave him, I'd never been without him for very long. And I said, I just have your hoodie. He was, he's a good programmer. So he always wears a t-shirt hoodie. And, um, and I said, can I have that? You know? And he said, yeah, of course. And so I grabbed his hoodie and he left me there in my sleepaway camp rehab. And, um, and I'd spend the night there. And the first thing they did was they took me into a bathroom with a very lovely orderly. And she says, we're going to need a urine sample. And I held my cup and I said, okay. And she says, like, now. And I'm like, you're in the room. And she goes, I know. And I'm not leaving. And I was like, wow. And I'm a lady. I've never peed in a cup in front of somebody in my life. So I must be in some trouble here. And so I did that. And I went to the groups and I listened and they hated me. Everybody in my dorm hated me because I'm doing my homework. I'm doing my step work. I'm going to make a count. I'm going to make a count. I'm away from my daughter. I can't handle it. I'm away from my husband. I've got to make a count. And on family day, which is just a few days after, um, after I got in there, um, once a week, it's family day, and so my uh, my husband tells me my daughter's coming. By the way, my husband says, "Oh yeah, and I had to tell you know your ex and wife, and, you know, that you're an alcoholic and you're in you know, Betty Ford Center." And uh, I can't even imagine all the work that he did, everything he did for me, and and um, he's a gift from God to me. And uh, we're married 20 years this month, and uh, I've been sober 12, so you can do the misery math. And um, <laughs> but we're we are stronger than ever. Alcoholics Anonymous has given me back everything I lost. Everything I lost, everything I missed out on, I get back here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so that day came when my daughter showed up at the family program, or not the family program, just visiting day. And I saw her from across the way and she ran straight for me. And I was so nervous. And all my girls, like, like we're in a sorority, and like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, she's gonna love you. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. And they're like, you're okay, just stay strong, okay. And so she's running and she ran straight for me. And I was so shocked because I knew she knew the truth. She knew where she was going to visit mom. She knew the truth. And she gave me a great big hug. And I'll never forget it. And I knew it was gonna be okay. I knew at that moment it was going to be okay that my daughter still loved me and it's going to be okay. I already knew my husband loved me. He's the unsung hero of all of it. And uh, then we had family group. And I listened and I learned and I did my step work. Everyone else is watching Law and Order. <laughs> uh, just like I hear that and I think we have this all day, all that was on the TV. Kabang. <laughs> all the time. But I'm doing my step work and, and I'm writing things and they're hating me, but I don't care. And I'm easy. Because I'm going to get better faster that way, and um, and then we did family group, and that's when they told me that your daughter's going to tell you the truth now. She gets the opportunity to tell you the truth, and you're going to sit and you're going to listen because she deserves that. And I was terrified. I'm just going to tell me I do. I hate you, and I can't believe everything you've done to me, and and I and I was just so scared, so scared. So we sat there and needed me, you know, circle of truth, and people all around, you know, just oh god. Bless America. And um, and so she said, I didn't know you were an alcoholic. She said, I didn't connect the dots. I knew you drank, 
I mean, and you're an alcoholic. She said, I thought you just didn't like me anymore, which was worse. She was like 700 times worse. And so she laughed and she said, so I'm glad you're an alcoholic. <laughs> and I just want to go to the grocery store with you. I just want to live life with you again. I miss you so much. And I said, we can do that. We can do that. And we went to the grocery store and a lot of other places and she followed me to all the meetings that were open. She was so proud of me and she came with me and I learned to heal and my family healed here. I got a sponsor, I started working steps and they were scary, but I did it. I did it a few times in the very beginning. My first five years, I had a different sponsor every year because I had bigger ideas. I'm not learning enough, I need another one. I'm not learning enough, I need another one. I need another one. And uh, then I, I finally found the sponsor that I have now and uh, right before my fifth sobriety birthday, She's a powerful woman of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she's taught me everything. I want to be her when I grow up. I will never get there, but I want to be just like her. Her spirit of service inspires me, and you guys taught me from the very first meeting I went to that i got to get busy, and i got to get in the middle, and I've got to get a commitment, and I've got to give back. They, were, they did not tiptoe around us in rehab. They said, you've been acting like a child your entire life, and it's time to grow up, and you need to stop taking, and you need to give. You need to give. So I took every commitment that my home group had. And I was scared of people. I was scared of touching people. I was scared of hugging men that I didn't know. My husband was a unicorn. He was the only man in the whole world who was worth anything. All the other ones were mean and bad. So there. And uh, so I took this stupid chip commitment. You know, and I'm hugging men. I'm hugging women. I'm hugging people I don't like, like all the time, right? And it healed me. It healed me. You guys, you know, give a literature report and I'm looking down and reading the script, you know, until I could look up and go, hey, you know, I'm big with Alcoholics Anonymous and I loved it. I loved giving a literature report, doing the grapevine. I loved it. I loved all of it. And oh my gosh, I got to be the secretary of my home group. They group conscience me in six months. I was supposed to have a year of sobriety. But I just, I'm one of those people. I threw myself into this program because I had to, I had to save my life and my family, and I wanted it, I wanted it, I wanted it with you, and I wanted to be like you, and I've never wanted to leave, I've never wanted to leave, I only do more and more and more, and when I get busy, I get better, and I got into general service, which if you haven't tried that one yet, GSR, you've heard those things, I encourage everyone, I know we've got some in here, and that's how I got invited to this meeting, is because I'm active in general service, and that has been the biggest blessing of my entire life, to have a responsibility of Alcoholics Anonymous service commitments. It's just huge. It's absolutely huge. And life isn't perfect, okay? Life isn't perfect. I worked my steps a few times. I learned to tell other people the truth. I learned that from you because you shared your secrets with me so I didn't have to die with mine. And I got to share them in a general way in meetings and in a very specific way with my sponsors. Very specific way. None of them ever left me. None of them. You have shown me unconditional love like nothing I've ever known in my life. You are the family that I choose. And you heal me and you love me and I just don't want to be anywhere else. And in general service, um, you know, I've been a GSR and DCM. And, um, and then things were going a little bit sideways at home. My daughter had kind of a nervous breakdown. She was 21 years old. 21 to 23 were really rough years with her. She got, I, I got sober, she was 14. So we had a lot of good years together. And then she had some personal struggles and then she actually up and left her life. And I haven't spoken to her in three and a half years. 
and it is a pain that I carry, but I, I share it with you, and you help me. And at that lowest point in my life, I got elected to highest position, highest, lowest, whatever, biggest um, in general service. And I took it, and I was honored by their trust. I was so honored by their trust, and it kept me busy, and it kept me safe. When I get busy, I get better. And I learned how strong I was. I could be chairman of the board. <clears throat> what is that? And um, I couldn't even stand, I couldn't even go to the grocery line. You guys, I couldn't stand up. I couldn't talk to you. I couldn't talk to anyone. I looked at the floor. And you guys taught me how to stand up. And you told me how the story was telling. Keep telling it. Keep doing it. Share what you have with somebody else. Tell the truth, and maybe it's going to hit somebody. Maybe you can save somebody. Maybe you can help somebody. Not really save. We don't save, but we help. And do it. Just keep doing it, no matter what. And when life gets hard and my anxiety comes back, Last November, it came back to visit me in a big freaking way, and it's still here now. So it's been like seven months of some hard anxiety. It's hard for me to get up here and talk to you. It's hard to go to meetings sometimes. I'm just scared. But I go anyway, and I told this story once, and um, because I heard it from another speaker. It's not my story, but she had gone through hard times, the speaker, and she says, all I know now is that Alcoholics Anonymous to me is like a bus that comes to your door every morning to pick you up. And no matter how you feel, you just get on the bus. Get on the bus. It's the best, best bus ever. And it's going somewhere you want to go with people that you love. And so on those days where it's hard for me to get up and get in the car, I just think, get on the bus. Get on the bus. Keep going. Even when you're scared, do it when you're scared. Walk through the fear. We don't get to hop over it or go around it. We walk through it. We walk through everything in Alcoholics Anonymous. And you taught me that. You taught me that. And I lean on God. A God in my life who is not a vindictive Santa Claus. He's more like that lion from the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Could you imagine just hugging that? And, and that's what my higher power is to me. All powerful, all fuzzy, warm, wonderful, who created me in my life because he thought I might enjoy it. It's not a sentence and it's not a penance. It's a gift. And every morning I wake up sober when I couldn't be sober for three hours. I'm sober 12 years. And I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm so grateful. I'm amazed every day. I still am. I wake up like that. And I say my prayers. And I say my meditation. Step 11 is huge to me. It is a fulfillment of the commitment I made in step three. I've made my amends even to my ex-husband. And that one was hard. And at the end he said, thank you. And I thought he hated me. And he said, all I've ever wanted is for you to be happy. And I thought you hated me. And I said, you're not the villain in the story I used to tell. I want you to know that. Our daughter knows that. And I'm sorry. And he said, thank you. And it healed me. And it let him off the hook. And it's beautiful. And you gave me that. You gave me that. And today, I'm still growing myself strong in love for the day that my daughter comes back. And I don't want her to find a bitter old woman that's still mad at whatever she did. She's going to find a woman of grace and dignity of alcoholics and arms full of love for her. And no conversations need to be had. When she knocks on that door, I'm going to say, we're having tacos for dinner. Come on in. And it's going to be beautiful. I know that. I know that's going to happen someday, and I don't know when, but I know it's going to happen. And in the meanwhile, I've got people like you to stay with me, to keep me busy, and to keep me sober. In Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm so very grateful. Thanks for letting me share.